Hey everyone, it's been a bit. And some of you may know, we were acquired by a company called Paddle. So ProfitWell is now part of the Paddle family. I have joined as chief strategy officer, a member of the board. Faku's taken over all of product, pizza and sales crew, and everyone came on board. And if you haven't seen the announcements, just go to my Twitter feed. I've talked about it a lot. But one of the questions that we got a lot was like, oh, so how did we meet? How did Paddle and ProfitWell come together? Well, it's actually this episode of the podcast. This was recorded a long time ago. It was before I was good at asking questions in podcasts. It was also probably before Christian was so good at answering questions on podcasts. But it's a really cool kind of artifact because while the sale and everything happened in 2021 into 2022, This was the moment that I literally met Christian and it was a really good conversation. And after this particular interview and the conversations that were kind of before it and after the recording, I remember calling Facundo and basically saying, hey, if we want to get into billing, we have to do it now because these guys, AKA Christian, are the ones who get it. They're the ones who think exactly like us. And in addition to that, it was one of those things where I thought, at the very least, we gotta integrate with these guys because they get it. They're thinking of the world of subscriptions the way that we think. And that way is very much this do it for you mentality where we exist so that you can plug ProfitWell in or now paddle. And basically you don't have to do any work. You just get the thing you need. Taxes are taken care of. Retention is taken care of. Pricing is taken care of. Chargebacks are taken care of. All of these different things. We do it for you. So today's episode features that first conversation we had that formed the foundation of the faith that we had in one another that eventually led us to joining forces. So sit back, relax, and uh, hopefully we don't embarrass ourselves too much. From Paddle, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Christian Owens dives deep on growth. We talk about early SaaS origins, solving customer problems, the roadmap to success, getting your customers to trust you, and what makes London perfect for SaaS. After you finish the episode, make sure you check out the show notes for an in-depth field guide focused on what we went over. Why SaaS? Like maybe we go back, like background. Yeah. Like what? what's the origin story? So, when did you become a superhero? <laughs> <laughs> it's basically the only thing I've ever done. Nice. Um, so I left school when I was 16, like dropped out, yeah. kind of discovered the thing called the internet. Like nice. it was magical. And it was like, so it was like yeah. building websites for, for, for clients. Yeah. And I can't remember exactly how it came about, but sort of, I started building some invoicing software. I think it was because I didn't want to pay for QuickBooks or something. It was like, like, I can build that. Like, why not? And I built this invoicing software and like through that process, realized I much preferred building a product to kind of doing like a restaurant website or or something. So kind of transitioned into building this invoicing software for the Mac originally. It was kind of pre-subscriptions being sort of as as prominent as, as they are. And sort of... Through that process, I also learned that I sucked at marketing. Like I really, really was quite bad at it. My first idea is I knew a bunch of like software developers. I knew a bunch of people who were also building products, running companies. So it was a case of how do I like utilize like complementary products and audiences like to help me grow. Like I didn't have any money. I couldn't like spend on ads. I couldn't go to conferences. I mean, I couldn't even open a bank account. I was like seventeen. So. 
sort of was one of like three or four companies to like stumble across this idea of um, like bundling software. And it's like really popular now. It's kind of built into the app store and, and, and things like that. But started a company where I would approach other software businesses um, and this was in like the perpetually licensed software yeah. model. So they'd have like a real incentive to like six months before they're going to do a big upgrade yeah. to sort of get tons of customers really quickly so that they could hopefully upsell them over the next like 24 months. Sure. So I started doing that. I organized the first one um, with like 10 companies, 10 products yeah. where we discounted it. This was like height of Groupon. Were they related at all or was it just It like was like vaguely, business. I think you could write, you could write copy to say that they were related, sure. but it was like some invoicing software and some design software and, yeah. and things like that where sort of if you're a creative professional, yeah. maybe that might appeal to you. And sort of launched that, the first one did really well, kind of it did like half a million dollars in sales in like two weeks and then sort of like really just doubled down on, on, on that yeah. as a business. And it kind of went from zero to kind of two million in sales mm. in its first year. Mm. I was still 17, so I had yeah. no idea what I was doing. It was like <laughs> dumb luck. And then kind of saw the writing on the wall a bit of, of like Groupon sort of like going like this yeah. and sort of like starting to, starting to fall off uh, in terms of this obviously isn't sustainable, doing massive discounts and eventually you run out of software that's yeah. good. So I tried to think of like what's the next like iteration of, of sure. that. And kind of settled on two things. Like one, I realized how difficult it was to just sell stuff through that, but like kind of doing it at some kind of scale. Um, like taking payments, dealing with taxes, um, actually billing people, um, doing it safely. <laughs> uh, but also it was partially that and then partially the reason why customers liked it, I thought, was was the curation aspect. Like they knew that the things in this package were kind of trustworthy. They were good products. They like weren't stealing their data. Like yeah. they weren't going to go out of business tomorrow. And that's kind of how the first, like the idea for Paddle came about. Um, so I was like 18. That business was kind of naturally sort of was coming to a like conclusion. We went from being like three companies doing it to 600 in, in 10 months yeah. of like clones of this thing. So I raised like 150K to build the first version of Paddle. And the initial idea was a marketplace. So a marketplace for downloadable software, SaaS, subscription products, mm. where we focus around kind of, yes, solve the commerce piece, make it really easy to buy, but also make it really easy to sell. But then also kind of focus on reviews, curation, sort of trust um, within this, with this ecosystem. And so built the first version of that, launched it, and like the marketplace really did absolutely nothing. Yeah. It was like, it went nowhere. Like nobody wanted another marketplace. Like yeah, people yeah. had customers, they're not gonna direct them so that they can pay 30% or whatever it was. So like we literally could have sold more of this software like door to door than we could have on this marketplace. And then a weird thing started happening of like sales on the marketplace started going up and traffic on the marketplace started going down. Um, and like we were like, what is happening? Yeah. Like sort of, so we spoke to these like 50 co companies that were using it and like a group of them had got together and like hacked their way around this marketplace. And had like sort of taken the buy buttons on their website and started pointing them to like the checkout like flow of, of the um, of the marketplace because we solved all these problems around payments, around taxes, around sure. and we built all this back end as well to help them manage customers and subscriptions yeah. and relationships. And I think sort of whenever you have an idea and it doesn't quite like manifest itself how you think, like there was we were like, uh, no, marketplace is the future. Yeah. And then sort of it took us like two months or so to realize that and then we shut down the B2C side, yeah. like the consumer facing bit, and then just focused all our efforts on like this problem. Sure. Like we got the reasoning behind 
like why we were building the marketplace right. Yeah. Like they wanted a like a better, easier, like more robust way to sell software, and they wanted the insight into the stuff, and they just wanted the headache gone. Yeah. Um, we got the execution wrong. Like That's they didn't insane. they didn't want another marketplace. They had the app store, yeah. and these businesses in a lot of cases already had customers. Sure. Um, they just needed a better way to handle the commerce piece, yeah. and then the, the bit that comes after that. The okay, how do people get access to it? Oh, like, yeah. sort of, what happens if they have a problem? Like, not having to log into six different tools yeah. to figure out sort of, oh, how do I refund or whatever it is. That problem set is what we've been focused on for the last five years now. Why do you think they, because similar to like another marketplace, like, you know, it's been five years and the, this space has changed dramatically, yeah. right? But even back then there were still, you know, basically a bunch of your competitors around, right? And they, they weren't as, you know, definitely not as beautiful, definitely not as like, you know, focused on some of the things that you mentioned, but why do you think those early 50 companies or so that were breaking your marketplace to, to use it this way, why do you think they used you versus spinning up, you know, one of those competitors? We focused on software. Yeah. Like, when you looked at the competitor set that we had at the time, sure. like, they weren't focused on software. They were focused on digital content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had the products that were built for creators, who people who are selling ebooks, people who are selling themes and... and sure and video courses and sort of all that stuff that's still really hard to sell. Yeah. They were building platforms that were focused on that stuff. And then they were kind of like tacking on, oh, you can also sell like a license key or a download or sort of like we do subscriptions yeah. um, onto the side of that. But the core focus were on sort of non, for the large part, like non-technical yeah. sort of non-product companies. Yeah. It was focused on like, how do I make it easier to deliver this Thing that I've like created this sure. content, this whatever, to an audience of people and solve the same sort of similar problems. Totally. Whereas we were focused on like that problem set, but the contracted problem set of how do we do that for software businesses, SaaS companies, yeah. sort of this ecosystem of, of products where they probably do have engineering resource. They should just shouldn't be spending it on this. Totally. And, and that was kind of, I think that's why it resonated with, yeah. with this group. So you're saying focus on a customer is a good thing? I'm being yeah, no, no, no. yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's easy to get distracted. Sure. Like it's easy to get distracted with like two things. One, it's much easier to go after those creative people and the product looks quite similar. Yeah. And sort of the skepticism and trust and goodwill that you have to build with like product teams and engineering teams and software companies sure. in order to do the other thing right of managing like the financial relationship that you have with somebody who's using your product in yeah. perpetuity is a much harder thing to sort of to have to facilitate than okay I'm going to sell you this thing and I'm going to let you download the PDF. Yeah. So it was it was about like robustness of of yeah. the relationships we have with the customer. Experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is cool. We could call it a pivot if we want, but like you kind of like start shifting the focus, yeah. right? And what I'm curious about too is because what, what makes you guys different, at least from an outsider's perspective, is we would call it focusing on the outcome and, and I think you would describe it maybe a little bit differently, but maybe ask more generally, like what makes you different than your competitors besides just the like focus on SaaS software? There's, there's a couple of things. So there's obviously like a huge landscape of tools, services, companies that are built around solving this problem. Sure. 
in various contexts, whether it's the payment bit, whether it's the recurring, recurring like billing management part, yeah. whether it's sort of, okay, the customer relationships afterwards, whether it's the data and visualization bit, kind of all of these things. There's all of these different problems. Mm-hmm. And sort of, there tends to be like two kind of solutions uh, to it currently. One is uh, I build it from parts myself. I'm a software company. I'm going to take all of these components. I'm going to, we're engineers. We're going to build it. And that gets you to a solution. Like you solve your problem by building it. You sure. might have a really time doing it, but like you get to the solution. And then it seems like kind of the other group of, of companies that are like trying to work on this are trying to provide not solutions, but tools to aid with building solutions. So they're building orchestration platforms. They're building the thing that plugs all of the other things together that makes it less of a headache. Sure. And I think what we're trying to do is just say the headache shouldn't exist. Yeah. Like let's just get rid of it. Yeah. Like you shouldn't have to buy this thing, then buy these payment processes, and then plug them all together, and then buy this other thing to deal with tax, and then this yeah. other thing to deal with analytics. It's like we should just solve all of that stuff, sure. so you can focus on the bigger picture, building a good product, customer and product. Yeah. Exactly, and and where you can augment that experience with tools that are specifically designed to utilize that like repository of information, yeah. customer service tools, analytics tools, like um, data products yeah. that can plug into this, amazing. Sure. Like we're never gonna be, we're not trying to be the best in the world at building those things. Yeah. We're trying to build, be the best in the world at building the running of the business part yeah. so that you can focus on those other things. Cause it's not a it's not a hard and fast line right yeah. like because sometimes i mean when you think about like a, a subscription sale right you have everything from like the acquisition identifying the best customer you know converting that customer pricing that customer all the way through retaining that customer and then all the like you know orchestration like you described underneath there like you know on your maybe not your like direct roadmap but your larger roadmap how do you figure out like this is something we would build this is something we're, we would never build or definitely not for a long time so I think it comes know. back to yeah. like a more fundamental like point. Sure. Whereas you look at what exists and there's two camps. Mm-hmm. There's the camp of we're going to build the most flexible set of APIs that handle a bunch of this stuff for you that you implement with. Maybe that's different tools and you're responsible for how it all interacts. But it's hyper flexible. You can do anything you yeah. want if you have the will to do it. And then there's the other camp, which is we're going to prescribe to you like what we think this should be like, like how we think that recurring billing should be or how you should sell to your customers. And you have to fit into these boxes. Sure. And what we're trying to say is neither of those are wrong, but neither of them are right. Mm-hmm. We're trying to build something in the middle mm-hmm. where it's like we have a bunch of experience and like we know best practice. Yeah. But if you want to deviate from best practice or the subscription landscape changes sure. or you want to experiment with a new billing model, like it shouldn't be restrictive because we're trying to solve a problem, yeah. but then it shouldn't be laborious because it's customizable. Yeah. So that balance is a tricky one. Yeah. Like balancing those two things, and we take it of approach of let's build kind of the most open platform that we can on top of really robust APIs. Yeah. So if the person wants to come in and do something wildly crazy, yeah. go do it. But for 99% of these companies, especially when they're just getting started, yeah. like there's probably a right way for them to start that process. Sure. And then it's up to them to experiment on top of it. Totally. But we can't be prescriptive 
about how they grow their business longer term. But I think the thing that we feel really, really passionately about is that if you and me were creating, we're each creating a product, we're both going to go and we have the same amount of resource in terms of like mental capacity, ideation, like product development. And we both go away and we create a project management tool. Sure. Your project management tool is better than mine. Like it's just a better product. Mm -hmm. And it's better because I've decided to spend 30% of my resource on billing, checkout flow, conversion optimization. And then I'm more successful than you, even though my product's worse. Mm. Like we don't think that's right. Yeah. Fundamentally, it's about like how do you and I with the same levels of resource dedicate the same amount of focus to the product so the best product wins. Yeah. Not the person who can spend like the most amount of resource on billing or conversion optimization or pricing. It's sort of like let's take the low-hanging fruit kind of out of the equation. Yeah. Focus on building good products. Like maintaining great customer relationships. Sure. Like executing on really great growth strategies. Yeah. Like those are the things that should be the differentiators between totally. like you winning versus me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that I spent a bunch more time on like integrating Alipay so like we can now sell to China. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like and <laughs> that shouldn't be the determining factor of success. It's weird though, because like, I think there's a little bit of a chicken or the egg problem with this because I th- and we were just talking before we were recording, like there are, there are situations where you're suggesting to your customers and you're literally having to almost not trick them, but just basically like, listen, do this for a week. I know it's going to work. Like, and if it doesn't work, well, you know, whatever. Right. Like, do you think that like, I guess the, the, the lowest common denominator question here is like, do you think people are ready for that even? Or is it just because they can't even think about it because they're so bogged down? I think there is that point of if they're spending all of their time fighting fires, they can't even think about these things. So they can't even take a suggestion that you might give them and evaluate it rationally. They can't say, oh, that sounds like a good idea or it doesn't sound like a good idea if the answer is always, I don't have time to think about that right now. But I think it's about something small. I don't think tricking, not tricking, I know you didn't mean tricking. Yeah, I didn't mean but like, I didn't mean I don't think that that's way. like a, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think we give people enough credit. Like sure. in terms of, I think if you go and speak to, and you are speaking to like SaaS founders, if yeah. you go and speak to 50 of them and say like, what stuff should you be doing? Yeah. Repricing, re whatever that you're not doing. They'll probably all have a list and they'll probably all be yeah. pretty, like all of those things will be correct in some, to some degree. Some way, yeah. So it's about one, how do we free up the resource so that they can actually focus on that list? But then also, how do we halve the list by just having some of it taken care of? And I think our approach to that is start really small, start with the really simple stuff, like that works out of the box. And how do we get them when we make a suggestion um, or we give insight, how do we get them to act on that? Is just by perseverance. I think like if we can demonstrate that the really small thing that we asked them to do or suggested that they do had a 1% lift but we think this other thing that's maybe risky it's maybe half your price in this market or triple your trial period that they were like oh crap I don't really know if I haven't thought about it enough like if we can do that enough times sort of and build trust we're at that point with customers we get to a point where kind of they understand the suggestion that we're making for them Mm -hmm. is to benefit them as a a business like and because of the way that we price, like we don't charge a 
sort of monthly minimums. We don't have like long contract terms. We don't have a lot of things that we can upsell. When they win, we win. Yeah. So there is pretty obvious that if we say half your price in this market because X, Y, and Z, then we're not doing that because like we have this kind of arbitrary, oh, if they have more customers, yeah. sort of like sure. they're, they're charging, we're charging them like $1 a customer a month. So like if they get more customers, even if they make less money, like we'll make more money. Yeah. And that's not the case. It's like we're charging a percentage. Yeah. Like everything that we do is about how do we grow their revenue, retain customers for longer and help them build better experiences. Yeah. Not about how do we arbitrarily kind of get this metric that we build our like users on how do we get that higher so that we make more money? Yeah. Sort of. Well, I think what's kind of cool about it is you even had your risk with the outcome because let's say I don't know and I don't believe you. If you're, I mean, It's not even about belief, but, but maybe, let's say like I don't know that I should be doing localized pricing or I don't know that I should be doing internationalization the way that I should. You just have a built-in the product, at least that initial layer like you mentioned, so that for most of the product, I can just automatically have it. And then maybe I'll start listening to you on that axis or this axis. But yeah. And also cool. it's going from the point of like the difference between making the decision that we should do something to actually doing it yeah. being as simple as like turning it on rather than it being, okay, now we have to like dedicate some engineering resource and sort yeah. of et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What's it like building in London? Are you from London? Like, what's what's the personal? I'm yeah. from like a hundred miles outside London. Okay. Grew up in the countryside. Moved here, sort of six, seven months into paddle. Oh, cool. Eighteen uh, yeah. on Mother's Day. Never do that. Nice. Like, I moved Mom's out. Like, of, but, yeah, like, oh, <laughs> Were you living at home when you left? Yeah. I mean, because you're. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was two of us at the time. We both moved. Like, we rented an apartment together. We like squatted in one of our investors' offices. Nice. The reason that we did it was. I think two things. One, access to talent. Like, it's such a diverse kind of ecosystem of people, diverse in terms of like backgrounds, where they're from, countries, um, but also like knowledge. There's yeah. a ton of different industries. There's sort of, you can take the best of, of everything. Yeah. So that was like one of the reasons. And then the other reasons was just the pace. Mm. Like, it's quite easy to get complacent when you're sort of like the only software company in a 20 mile radius of you and yeah. and whereas here kind of every single day like there are other companies also trying to build something and there are people trying to build it and there's an ecosystem of people who are going through the same stuff yeah. that you can go to dinner with and be like oh that sucked like and then everybody's like yeah rather than like <laughs> rather than like that sucked, and they're just like, "What's software?" Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and it's and it's kind or of like, just like, "That's cute." I had a problem with this cow today. Yeah, yeah, like, like, like stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or just like, and and like, I think for me as well, it was like, sort of, didn't really have like a peer group mm. of like people where I grew up who were also my age and building software companies. Yeah. So it was like, where do you go? That's the like highest hit rate of of like smart people that you could potentially learn from and like absorb yeah. information and and kind of London sort of seemed like the, the it's the net it was just like the natural conclusion of like where do we go from 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 where we were what do you think makes London unique like compared to other ecosystems out there if anything I think it is like diversity of industry I spent a bunch of time in San Francisco and like you walk down the street 
like everybody's talking either about the company that they work for and like how they're killing it and or sort of the company that they're starting and how they're killing it um, and everybody is sort of focused on the same things it's like how do we raise money like how do we build this thing how do we hire this person whereas here like there is a healthy and growing like ecosystem of people talking about that stuff yeah but then equally there are people in entirely different industries yeah. who like sort of actually can contribute to yeah. that like sort of I think in the world of like startups and SaaS businesses we get into this weird position of of sort of wanting to solve problems mm. which is great it's super healthy but sometimes we try and solve problems that have already been solved yeah and the only reason that we don't know that they've been solved is because we're so like insular about yeah. like <laughs> we're only talking to other people who have also never done it yeah yeah and like when you do that enough like you realize oh maybe there's actually like a great like this yeah. person worked at like an ad agency or totally. they built a restaurant and like they're really good at that yeah whereas like you just you don't send you, the hit rate of that stuff is much much higher and also like the different different cultures like sort yeah. of different cultures different languages like all of these things cool man this is awesome yeah, yeah I appreciate it it's cool a huge shout out to Christian Owens, my new brother in arms here for doing the podcast all those years ago. Now you as a listener have what it takes to grow in the world of SaaS. Today we talked about early SaaS origins, solving customer problems, the roadmap to success, getting your customers to trust you and what makes London perfect for SaaS. Oh, and if you want to support Paddle, Christian and I and the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a five-star review of this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen and watch. The podcast gods tend to like that sort of thing, and we like to appease the podcast gods. Thanks for listening, and make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle Recur, the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. 